Hi everyone! Before we start the show, I wanted to ask that if you like what we're doing here, you might consider donating to keep it moving onward and upward. We have a Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon and a PayPal at paypal.me backslash Hegelbon. $5 at Patreon will get you bonus episodes, but even a dollar helps more than you can imagine because no cartridge is funded by listeners like you. Thank you. No Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk, Hagelbon on Twitter. And uh, I have with me today uh, my co-host, my 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 other half on the, um, now on hiatus, but soon to come back, um, uh, what, Intelligible Grunt. Why did I forget the name? I forgot the, I forgot the adjective that went with our podcast. I forgot if it was unintelligible or intelligible. Um and of course, it's intelligible because that's more funny. Uh, my friend and yours, uh, Rousedower, um, at NKVD's Nuts and, and all-around gentleman, welcome to the show. Oh, great to be here. Inquisitive Grunt, by the way. It's Inquisitive Grunt? I always thought it was intelligent, intelligible, um, which probably is why I can never find it on um, Libsyn. I, I, I came up with the name independently. And then it turns out that that's how the grunt is registered in subtitles for Home <laughs> It's also, um, I just call it the grunt on my computer. So in my mind, it's just the grunt. Uh, but at the same point, that's not the name of the podcast. So if people were searching for it, they wouldn't be able to find it. So um, I'm going to say the name of the podcast again. It is um, The Inquisitive Grunt. It is a good podcast, uh, largely because of Roustauer, his production and his wit. Uh, but I'm on it too. We cover all of Last Man Standing, the uh, execrable uh, Tim Allen uh, project that uh, should never have been made and has been canceled. Vanity project slash passion project, <laughs> and that could that could describe either of our shows, frankly. It also, I mean, in the case of Last Man Standing, it is also a description of. Um, the religious fervor of Tim Allen and also uh, the enthusiasm he has for his terrible sitcom. So, Rousdauer, you're tell here... it's late at night? Yeah, right. Uh, Rousdauer, you're here to talk with us about uh, the lovely and charming game that I have nothing bad to say about. Uh, I will I will tease it at the beginning. I have nothing bad to say about this game. Uh, Cuphead. Is that right? That is correct. I mean, you... In the... <laughs> We attempted to do this last week, but, and this is a little mm-hmm. inside baseball for you fans. Uh, it is like director's cut stuff here. Audacity fucked up, which means that we're even later covering this than we should be. Mm-hmm. We're doing this on the Saturday before November. But at this point, you know, like, there have already been so many superlatives. The game has sold over a million copies. Uh, the soundtrack in an incredible rarity 
shot to nine on the Billboard jazz charts. Unbelievable. Almost cracked the top 20 for soundtracks in general <laughs> to hit the jazz charts. It's, um, I mean, it's it's one of those games that I think, like, a lot of ink has been spilled over it, and I think there's there's definitely some, um, I mean, there's just really some reasonable hesitation in, like, uh, covering a game like this so long after it's been done. I feel in some ways, like, the, the, um the the focus of the gaming world has kind of like moved on to i mean wolfenstein 2 especially which is coming out the night that we're recording this well not i guess it came out yesterday but like sort of like this is the first full day of it um if you want some perspective uh honest trailers ate our lunch (laughs) (laughs) i mean the thing is it's not I, i also have to say that the honest trailer for cuphead you know, I wouldn't urge anyone to check them out. No. But that one in particular was particularly pitch. <laughs> yeah, skip skip that. Um, but, I mean, the thing is, like, much like all the games, or a lot of the games that I cover on the show, um, Cuphead is, is one of those games that's actually, like, worth talking about after the fact. Uh, no Cartridge has never um, made any... Uh, I don't know. It's never. I've never made any uh, claims to be a news-breaking site, um, or like you know, late-breaking reviews or anything like that. I, I might try to in the future. It's it's something that I've liked to try and do at least the review part. But with Cuphead, I'm not hesitant about covering it late because it's on its face a fairly important game um, in terms of like the genre and what the genre tries to do. And I think that's actually something that. Um, uh, I mean, that's something definitely we'll cover tonight, but it's something that's worth covering after the fact to to not let it get caught up in so many uh, news cycles so that it just becomes like, oh, yeah, remember that game? It's number three on my game of the year list. Like, it's it, it just feels like a bad fate for it. Yeah, not to mention that this podcast is explicitly analytical, so mm-hmm. it's better to it's better to have some sort of retrospective rather Absolutely. than, you know a rush to see who can deliver the most blistering hot take imaginable. Um, but actually we're going to go to strike while you can. Our hot take is that cuphead is all right. So just, just so you know, strap yourselves in. We're going to, we're going to justify that uh, for an hour. I'm sure there's someone in the game who does the okay sign. I couldn't tell you who it is off the top of my head, but I'm sure he's in there. You Maybe know, King Dice does it. Want to list off some of the characters in this game? A blonde woman who has a bunch of children. Mm, two frogs. Oh, oh boy. Um, the devil. The devil is in this game. Um, <laughs> I, I, Cuphead's not all right. Um, <laughs> but Cuphead is, uh, as as we discussed last last show, and I mean this show will be this show will probably be a little looser because we've already gone through the material, but. Um, that's fine. I think it's. I think it'll be good. The the Cuphead I think, does. I think it'll actually be better in that regard because yeah. our ideas will be more fully formed. We'll be with this episode. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, uh, Twenty minutes later, we're both asleep on the computer. Uh, but no, I mean, as as Rouse Dower uh, helped me see with the um, playlist he he made of me for me for of. Um, uh, cartoons from the 30s, particularly um, uh, Fleischer Brothers cartoons, uh, Cuphead pulls very, very literally from its roots uh, in 1930s cartoons. 
Yeah, I'm just going to list off the things that we did beforehand because, you know, uh, I'm not exactly Jerry Beck here, but I am <laughs> something of an amateur animation historian. So, right. you know, I was able to pull off some very on-the-nose uh, source material for us to go through. So, of course, number one with the bullet, Swing You Singers. I could have included Bimbo's Initiation too, but I didn't. That's all right. I understand. And uh, Swing You Sinners is kind of a remarkable uh, little piece of work in that uh, <laughs> it's a dog who is hounded by, I will go so far as to say, like, kind of stereotyped quasi-black ghosts for stereotypically black vices, like... Um, shooting craps and stealing chickens and chasing women and they lynch him they they just chase him literally to hell <laughs> and the short just ends that way it's kind of remarkable you think what was it what was the uh what was the audience behind that <laughs> it's um it's interesting because we were talking last time about the fleischer brothers particularly um, the inclusion of Cab Calloway in uh, a cartoon I'm pretty sure you're going to bring up next. Um, the rotoscope Cab Calloway. So the Fleischer brothers uh, used Cab Calloway uh, via rotoscope. We could talk about rotoscoping and, and that technique um, a little bit, but I noticed something, uh, someone I follow on Twitter, uh, Yakov Peterson pointed out uh, in talking about, I forget who he was talking about. It was a, it was some thirties cartoonist Um but he was he was critiquing the Fleischers in relation to this cartoonist because they used Cab Calloway, but then also included in the same cartoon as him, like a clear sort of gollywog style uh, black uh, minstrel figure. Um, and that kind of tension is something that I, I find really interesting in, in the Fleischers work um, and, of course, problematic and, and disappointing as well. Uh, don't don't get me wrong. Um, but I think I think Yakov is a good point, And I think also it's something that we can't separate from kind of the genius of their cartoons. Yes. There's a remarkable amount of, I don't want to necessarily, um, not perhaps, perhaps unconscious, but there's sort of a disconnect between their fetishization of jazz and sex and their, uh, they're like somewhat minstrel leanings. I mean, it doesn't come up often in the four shorts we watched. There is precisely one blackface joke. Mm -hmm. But which, of course, as as probably ought to go without saying, but shouldn't is one too many. But still, go, go on. Even a little drop spoils the pot. True. But no, it's it's remarkable in that the Fleischers used uh music particularly jazz music to a way that people weren't and i suppose in sort of a uncomfortable white ally way <laughs> fetishization of the subject is a lot better than outright denunciation ah uh, yeah that's uh, probably or, I, or just ignoring it entirely but again only by very very slight degrees mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's like it's not it's not the the famous band cartoons level of bad, but it is, um, yeah, it's 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 dicey, and it comes. I mean, we may we may talk about. There was an article that that we talked about last time that sort of 
worried about this in, in conjunction with Cuphead. We may come back to that. Um, if not, it, I'll edit this out. But um, in any case, I'll let you continue on with your with your uh, with your canon. So so swing you sinners, and then uh, old man of the mountain, mm-hmm. which again the Betty Boop short. features features uh, Cab Calloway and is ridiculously sexual. <laughs> There is there there are multiple references to assault. Like the the old man is incredibly lavicious. Rips off Betty's dress at one point, but Ugh. again, that's just the majority of Betty Boop cartoons are very very sexualized in kind of oddly predatory ways. Well, sure. I mean, she's played as like a a, a kind of like total airhead a waif an ingenue if you will yeah but you know like sort of the sort of the good girl who is sassy and clever but still keeps finding herself in these shenanigans but every short she is menaced by some kind of giant rapist it's it's a very (laughs) unsettling trend like some like some like some drooling guy three times her size will appear suddenly and just like but put her on her knee and his knee and play patty cake it's ugh. but yeah look for my upcoming uh article and tabnet the specific perviness of mac fleischer i mean it is it is true though that like there's there's a there's a level of there's a level of just like it, it reminds me a little bit of the um the, the fascination people have with uh, with sort of like bondage in Wonder Woman, uh, but so much more on the surface, right? Like, of course, you can see that in Wonder Woman. It's like, well, it's barely, barely below the surface in the in the old 40s uh, and 30s Wonder Womans. But like in in Betty Boop, it's like it's it's super text. It's it's just right there. All the pathologies are right up top. And in part, it creates this strange dichotomy where the uh most of the other shorts the other shorts that we watched that were not fleischer uh were specifically made you could tell for children yes right and fleischer cartoons like the ones where you know a gambling drinking womanizing dog is swallowed up by a giant leviathan skull you think like, are these made for children? Are these made for adults? And you, a narrative starts to emerge. They were just kind of made for the Fleischers themselves. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> right. I mean, done it's like for art's sake, <laughs> and that creates and that creates like kind of an interesting uh, rapport with Cuphead itself. Oh yeah, what who is it made for? It's right. visually stunning, it, but and that in turn has attracted a lot of more casual gamers people just like very enamored with the aesthetic and the craft put into it yeah of course and it's, but it's, were it's, absolutely demolished by its difficulty <laughs> this game got an e rating by the way yeah well as, as it should i mean cuphead the, cuphead issues there's a lot of there's a lot of alcohol though and a lot of tobacco yeah i'm sure they had a lot of arguments about that i mean the the, the thing is like 
Cuphead basically takes this this I think it's a good it's a good segue into the game because there's this difficulty, right? Of um of the Fleischer cartoons where you're just like, what is this? What am I looking at? What am I what am I experiencing? Is this unacceptable? Is it you know, a, a genius work? Is it just for kids? Is it inappropriate? And there's no good answer to it. It sort of lives in this like really uncomfortable liminal space, which makes it, of course, interesting. Um, and I think in some ways that's kind of how Cuphead is as a video game as well. Like it's not, it's not quite narrative, but it doesn't eschew narrative completely. And it's not quite a, like a hyper difficult bullet hell, but its difficulty has been enough that people have bounced off of it. And so like it builds its own narratives, but the game itself, once you dig into it is so, so hard to nail down. And at the same time, it's proven such a consummate crowd pleaser. Yes, absolutely. People are attracted to something this original, but yet has so many influences and much like the Fleischer subtext, wears them on its sleeve proudly. <laughs> there are absolutely Street Fighter references. There are Gradius references, uh, Gunstar Heroes, uh, so many so so many uh wonder boy references mm -hmm. there's an entire boss stage which is directly influenced by final fantasy 6 it's even you i mean the character uh mangostein the eight ball is again comes directly from gunstar heroes that's this the most blatant reference you can possibly think of well the robot i mean you were you were saying the robot is what's the robot pulled from it's like a it's Dr. Wily. Uh, Dr. Wily and Dr. Robotnik. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they can you've also tell that they have done their work when it comes to this animation. Because I didn't cover the first time, and I'm going to rant about it for a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. When you come to a rather <laughs> shallow depiction of this art style, like, um, Trevor, are you familiar with Bendy and the Ink Machine? Uh, I'm not, no. Okay. But you are familiar with Five Nights at Freddy's, right? Uh, yes, I am. Bendy and the Ink Machine is essentially Five Nights at Freddy's, but done in an old abandoned movie, movie studio, where a cartoon character that has come to life through dark rituals terrorizes you behind every corner. Oh, it's you know what? I think I know this game. I think I know what you're talking about. It's such a Five Nights at Freddy's style game so specifically made for streamers and their audiences that one of the characters is actually voiced by Jack Jacksepticeye. <laughs> Who? Exactly my point. <laughs> Grandpa. Uh, <laughs> How dare you? But the, the thing is, the, the demographic behind Five Nights at Freddy's got into Bendy and the Ink Machine through very... Uh, th through their almost exactly similar style of gameplay and survival horror uh, milieu, all the tropes. And then they mm -hmm. got into Cuphead because, like Bendy and the Ink Machine, it's styled exactly after 1930s cartoons, but Bendy and the Ink Machine seems to go after this style in a very shallow way. It it has a couple of the little trappings, but at the same time, it feels very hollow. Like, this is 
this is a unique thing that they've set upon, that they've hit upon as the idea for a game, but you don't really feel like they've done their homework. This doesn't feel like a love letter. Whereas the Moldenhauer brothers have absolutely done their homework on this. Yeah, I'm looking I'm looking at Bendy and the Ink Machine images, and there's like it it, it really feels as if it's just like a um I wouldn't call it a ripoff, but like just like a, a direct sort of translation from, you know, just like any sort of given uh, 30s cartoon. There's like the main guy who sort of is like a mouse or a dog or something. There's the, the taller guy and mm-hmm. then there's the girl. And as a result, this, I mean, I guess I can't knock it. It probably sell a couple of hundred thousand copies, but this also gave... Cuphead, a extraordinary periphery fan base, where the people who uh, who are obsessively sexual about Five Nights with Freddy's transferred to Bendy and the Ink Machine, and then Cuphead, and what do you know? There's a bunch of uh, pictures of I, I don't know the devil with his tongue and King Dice's butt or whatever. No, that's where we. That's not out there, is it? Do you even have to ask? I no, you're you're right. I don't have to ask. Of course, it's out there. I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at these um, Bendy and the Ink Machine pictures, and it's every sort of like Tumblr DeviantArt thing you could want. There's hookups. There's overly sexual things. There's feet. There are uh, humanized mm. versions. This is really exciting. I I I I don't think Tumblr will ever recover from uh, the onecelerization of fiction. <laughs> no definitely not you got that one <laughs> see well i've been alive for you know 700 years so i know the, the i know the old stuff <laughs> but nonetheless th- getting back to my main point this is definitely a labor of love you can see it in every frame every animation you wouldn't believe this was done with so small a team no absolutely not i I think it's a total of 10 animators for every single character. Wow. I mean, it makes sense. It's like, it's intensely, I mean, it's intensely demanding. And even then, and even then, I don't think it would have been, I don't think it would have been delayed as long as it had have been if they had got the funding, but it was still all bosses. Mm-hmm. So they, I mean, more ambitious. Yeah. And it paid off in spades. Absolutely. And I think like, there's this level at which it is it is cut back or it's like scaled back where like you do just have like most of the main stages are just bosses. Um, but even in that same moment, the scaling back process produces this kind of wonderful balance with the other stages. And it makes it feel like so like I talked about Ruiner on a um, on a bonus podcast and it may be because I played uh, Cuphead and Ruiner at the same time, essentially. Uh, but Ruiner felt a lot like a mobile game to me. Mm-hmm. And there were elements that were really fun and like interesting and stuff like that. But it felt like you could easily port it to mobile and it wouldn't have lost anything. Whereas Cuphead is just like, it's so finely crafted that I couldn't see it on a cell phone. Like, I don't want to be I don't want to be David Lynch over here about, you know, watching art on cell phones. But like it wouldn't it needs the it needs all the inputs you get from a controller. Uh, or from a mouse and keyboard, I guess, in order to work. And it that that to me sort of speaks to a, a kind of craft that um, 
you can't get if you're just trying to get to a deadline. There's also, although it is comparatively scaled back, there's also a bunch of little town missions in Cuphead. Right. That I remember you being particularly charmed by in Ruiner. That was one of the uh, key points of your praise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the um, I think like the main thing um, I think the main thing about Ruiner that I liked was the um, was the fact that it had a um, I mean it had a town base. Like you could actually go back and kind of talk to people and. Uh, work through kind of quaint missions that weren't combat based and cuphead doesn't necessarily have a ton of those but it has a few and the characters you meet are fleshed out enough i mean there are jokes in it there are sort of references back to the 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 care they take in the music um the the third uh inkwell isle has this level of like oh you know um constant back and forth yeah you talk to this one person and he says, or it's like a, I forget what kind of anthropomorphized uh, music thing he it's is. It's a, uh, I, I believe it's, it's a radio okay. who emphasizes, I think the, um, more, uh, so emphasizes the more modern aspects of music, i.e. like the fully produced jazz band stuff. And then you talk to mm-hmm. the Victrola who gives you the option to listen to the uh, island themes on a solo piano. Right. And he talks about how, like, the other guy's a, a, an idiot composer and all this new stuff is adding way too much detail. And you could basically switch Ten between... notes when one will do. Right, exactly. And, like, it's it's basically like a, uh, a conversation or a debate over contemporary music. Um, and, I mean, contemporary being a sort of, like, long durée kind of contemporary. So, say, a hundred years, not five. But this sort of, like... Um, debate that happens in modern and contemporary music just like played out on this 1930 set in this in this grand sort of um allegory which is so interesting i mean it's like it's so what i love about that is that it's throwaway in the fact in the way that like you can't you can't anticipate that your players are going to find that um but it, prov- it it is given so much care i mean and itself uh, has 10 notes when one would do, but all of those notes, all the little bells and whistles and secret stuff add so much to the game. Yeah, absolutely. Even if only in a superficial way, because again, you can tell that they put care into it. Like a lesser game that was aping 1930s aesthetic would probably have a black and white mode, which by the way, makes the game completely unplayable. (laughs) Right. But the fact that they took the care to just have a two-color, two-strip cinecolor filter that turns everything varying shades of blue and red is so remarkable to me. It, It shows that they're like, what I like about the... What I like about the development process and, and the product in, in Cuphead is that it, it's it's more like a masterclass on the history of animation as opposed to a masterclass on the history of difficulty in video games. And like, I think there's th- those seem like the two ways you could go with Cuphead because it was built as this difficult game and it's hard enough, but like the the difficulty takes a backseat to the artistry, which I think is a really smart and and it's a gutsy choice 
Because you know gamers, you know you can sell a certain number of units if you just say, like, it's a hard game, like, you can't beat it. They'll pay 15 or 20 bucks. Which they rarely yeah. did. Yeah, right. Uh, gamers will pay 15, 20 this bucks was, to do this that. This was entirely, like, this was entirely something that was cooked up based on reporters themselves. Yes. Struggling through. And that's not a criticism, no. Like, as I mentioned before, which you would have listened to had it actually come out that on the on the really the good thing, bonus episode that no one listens to except me and roused hour if the thing about uh the difficulty is that there is a distinct learning curve so the fact that these reporters were facing off against aisle three bosses when they hadn't even completed aisle one bosses they were actually doing pretty well yeah <laughs> like it, like uh if you can manage to make it through even say Wally Warbles without getting hit, that's kind of, it's kind of remarkable if that's the first boss you're playing. Yeah, absolutely. I like the, I think the, the, the problem with reporters struggling. So like I said this in the other podcast too, like the, the thing that bugged me about the reporter struggling narrative was not that like, it wasn't some feeling that like uh, the uninitiated were playing and judging our games, but that like the <laughs> the the reporter couldn't get through the um, tutorial stage because he wasn't paying attention. Like he wasn't trying, and like the game makes it very clear what you're supposed to do. the The moves are fairly elementary. It's not a lot of moves. It's not like you're playing um, a fighting game or something like that. There's like six things you can do. Um, it uses the Mega Man X2 control system. Yeah, effectively. It's been in place for like 20 years. <laughs> yeah, it's not... Nothing is new in this game. The The closest is a parry system where you like can slap pink objects by hitting A at the right time instead of getting hit by them. But ultimately, like even that is not that crazy. And so like the, the reporter working through it, just it, it seemed to me was like willfully obtuse. Um... Well, the thing was, it later came out that they'd sent a guy to cover this notoriously difficult platformer who didn't even like platformers. Thought <laughs> they were a waste of time. <laughs> right. Which is like going to the Wisconsin Cheese Festival if you're lactose intolerant. Right. But, yeah, exactly. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and the thing is, like, the like Venture Beat, which... I had never even heard of. Where are these fucking sites come from? What the thing is they tried to do that annoyed a lot of people is that they tried to have their cake both ways. Is that they published the they published the preview from Dean saying that, you know, oh, this game might be too difficult. In fact, it's penalizing people. And then, you know, it also released the video of him playing it as a joke, like twenty shameful minutes, which I could barely make it through two. Like it was a brutal. I couldn't. I couldn't get through it. Not even necessarily brutal. Like you feel bad for him, but after a certain point, you just like get the joke. All right, he sucks. Let's move on. <laughs> it's it's just like it was only brutal because like it's it, it's like the torture comedy or the sort of like um, discomfort comedy of say like a Tim Heidecker. Um, or Eric Wareheim, but without any of the comedic timing or comedic intent. So, like, it's basically like they got a 20-minute video of some guy struggling, and they were like, well, the internet will love this. 
and just like packaged it with like a blooper reel uh, aesthetic, and it just fails uh, in any way. Like, I it, really watching pe- the thing about it is that watching people do badly at any sort of video game, let alone having a Sisyphean labor with a goddamn cylinder, <laughs> right? Is that is that it's not it's not really funny it's just kindly annoying to watch yeah exactly that's the thing about games is that they inspire that's what inspires the get good mentality in so many people is the sense that well i could do that come on give the controller over and this is a get this isn't a get good game it's a hard game but it's not one that penalizes your defeat it's not one that it's not one that rubs your nose in it, aside from, you know, uh, the simple difficulty being kind of sucky because King Dice won't let you pass. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, like, the... the We talked about this in the last episode, um, or in the episode that didn't get get out, but, like, you know, you... you we don't have to dwell on this article. I feel like one of the one of the weaknesses of the lost episode is we dwelled too much on this article. But, like... There was an article in a in a journal that you told me about. I can't remember the name now that we're we're talking about it. Um, uh, not Yo Mama's Gamer. Right, not Yo Mama's Gamer. Which like I, I don't know much about the site. Honestly, they seem to publish mostly editorials, not reviews of any kind for like uh, queer and POC perspectives. Which is that's good. Is fine. That's a it's that's okay. a noble task. Yeah. Um, but they published a piece on Cuphead, which was basically the the to boil it down, it was, you know, I kept holding my breath in Cuphead, waiting for there to be a racist caricature, and I was initially kind of like shocked by this because the the care in Cuphead is so clearly meant to be inclusive, um, and like I I would have found nothing more shocking than to see uh, them include that element of the '30s in there. Um, and part of that, like, part of that feeling of inclusion is it comes with the difficulty, which, like, yeah, it's hard, but it really walks you into it. Like, there's nothing in there. Like, there's a lot of games where, like, a showpiece will be see how you can handle this difficult thing. And the closest Cuphead has to that is the second to last boss, King Dice. And even that, like, I didn't feel like it was impossible. I felt it was like fine to pass with at the point I was at. And you just learn every time you play, you figure out how the bosses work. The game loads up real fast right after your defeat. You don't lose experience points or anything. It's just a game where you kind of learn how the bosses work and move on from there. The the hardest boss I would actually have to say is Dr. Call. Really? I didn't find him too difficult. I found, um, really? yeah, I was uh, the hardest boss. We didn't actually talk about this last time. The hardest boss for me was... Well, there's the... Well, there's the certain bullet hell aspect of his very last stage. Yeah, I found that that's very true. I found the um, the hardest boss for me was the bee. Oh, the hive. Yeah, I that took me hours. Well, you knew you could, uh, you know, you could parry off those uh, homing spells, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I was I was I knew everything to do in it and it was still so hard. So, I mean, it, but this is true of Cuphead. Like, people find different... I, I've heard people say that the the clown um, uh, sort of, like, roller coaster stage was the hardest. Or I had someone say that the train was definitely the hardest. I didn't find the haunted train to be the hardest. I thought that was fun, but I didn't think it was 
too terribly difficult. Um, so, I mean, that this is just kind of how it goes. And I think, like, that's another indication of it being a good game is that, like, there's no singular boss that is, oh, that's the hard boss. It just depends on how your brain works or how you sort of deal with difficult levels or how you learn uh, that it's sorted differentiates. Into, it's sorted into ground and air bosses, but at the same, there's even so much variation within that narrow sphere absolutely even if it's uh like even uh even in the third aisle you still get a relatively easy one like sally stage play just to sort of give you a breather and that's yeah sally stage play i would agree is pretty easy and that's part part of the charm is that the this is the last i'll say about goddamn difficulty yeah we can move on (laughs) is that Cuphead is was never meant to be a get good game. Mm-hmm. Cuphead is about Cuphead is challenging in the best possible sense. Yeah. It encourages you to learn. It doesn't encourage you to quit. If you will, failure is just the first step to success. There you go. That's right. Now we're now we're now we're a success guy meme. The entire the entire reputation of Cuphead as get good is popularized in part by pre-release editorials mm-hmm. and not pre-release uh, leaks by the, by the devs either. I mean, it, there, you don't see that in the advertising materials much like, uh, like the thing about cuphead is a racist question mark and cuphead too difficult question mark. And how, what does this say about games? Question mark is that. Let's be totally honest. Um, the thing about monetized content is that you know you got to get those page views when you can, <laughs> right? And I think people are usually drawn to editorials because I I don't know like after a certain point, do you want like a dumb critical take that was kind of fired off and a matter of hours or do you want a review about how to spend your money? Yeah. I think like the, it's, it was just, it was just sort of vain and self-perpetuating. Yeah. And I think like, I think that point about like, do you want, do you want to sort of experience the game such as it is, or do you want someone to tell you it's worth your money or it's not is a good, is a good way of asking. Cause like, one of the things that's coming to me talking about Cuphead more is that the the similarity between it and um, the the Fleischer Brothers um, is that like so Swing You Sinners is something that took a lot of work. I mean that's like that's a that's not a um, an easy kind of thing to animate. It is it is tricky. There is a lot of skill and like you know stagecraft in there. It's it's a it's a work of innovation in and, part because Disney's stole a fair amount of their animators halfway through production so <laughs> one of the supervising grim animators uh grim natwick who gets a shout out in cuphead had to train a bunch of uh young turks to do it from scratch yeah and he did and i mean there's this sense of care and craft but also just kind of like hustling at the same point and that's really what comes into cuphead like it's not a long game it's a short in that sense. Um, it's not 
it's not a game that you would say like, oh, it's it's you know this close to a AAA title, but its quality comes from the fact that it is it it is so meticulously crafted on its own terms, and I think a game like that really, I mean, there's a disservice in saying like, is it worth your money? It's like, yeah, it's worth your money to give it a try. Like, it's worth your money to see what it is. Uh, just in the same way that like, if you're gonna ask like, oh, should I see the should I see like the the Pollock retrospective? You say like. Well, yeah, you probably should. Like, I don't know if you'll like Jackson Pollock or not, but like, probably worth seeing. Some of those are P. <laughs> That's right. Like, Can you guess which ones they are? Like, I, I could extend the analogy further, in fact, by pointing out the, the similarity I touched on before about the Fleischer brothers and the Moldenhauer brothers' auteurism. Because the Fleischer brothers basically uh, were not were not only a very unique voice in their field they handled race and sex in a cosmopolitan way if not necessarily woke way <laughs> right they were like uh riches to rags uh jewish boys who grew up in a new york slum after their uh their father's tailoring business hit the skids. And as a result, they gained a different, if not necessarily more enlightened perspective on such taboo matters than, uh, well, Disney and Van Buren, who were mostly, uh, you know, uh, Midwestern farm boys. Right. Or like the sons of, oh, I don't know what Van Buren was, a shipping executive, I think. <laughs> Son of a shipping executive. And... What what transpired was that they not only had a very unique voice, but they were also much more technically innovative. They were the ones who were first to use rotoscope in a big way with their cocoa shorts, which I guess in this analogy would be um, somewhat similar to the Moldenhauer's previous effort, Super Meat Boy. Right. And they continued to grow. They continued to expand. We watched uh, Popeye meets Sinbad the Sailor, which is remarkable. It features some of that uh, 2D, 3D rotograph integration stuff, which is... Yeah, it's lovely. It's a wonderful short. I think it was put to better use in uh, Poor Cinderella, but eh. (laughs) I won't quibble about that. (laughs) Then why didn't you send me that one? (laughs) Because... Because I already sent you one two-color cartoon, and those are kind of hard to look at after a while. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Also, uh, the one two-color cartoon I did send him, Van Buren's Picnic Panic, is absolute crap. (laughs) I just (laughs) sent him it because, you know, like, I wanted to send him something that wasn't Disney and wasn't Fleischer, and it had cups in it. That's right. You have to. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you have to know, you have to know the background, and the background is everything. I mean, that's the other thing about Cuphead is that, like, yes, I would say mostly it's the Fleischers, but like, it is, it is very open, and it's. You've alluded to it. It's, it pulls from video game references, but it pulls from a lot of different animation styles and a lot of different uh, traditions of animation. Um, uh, the Cookie Carnival, which we both watched uh, mm-hmm. from Disney is well there were like dozens and dozens of 
cartoons about lands made of food. Oh, yeah, of back course. Back in the day. Because everyone was hungry. Uh, apparently, it was something about the depression. <laughs> Who knew? But it, the Cookie Carnival proved to be an extremely direct reference to Sugarland Shimmy. They look exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I remember, I think the first time we talked about this, you referred to Tex Avery, which, mm, yeah. But the thing is, even that is kind of before Cuphead's time. I mean, if there's there's a sequel, I'd love to see that get incorporated. But <laughs> it basically, it, the references stop around, and I don't think this is a coincidence, the first Fleischer Brothers, the first Fleischer Studios movie. And this is an interesting thing to consider. Because the Fleshers have been doing great. The thing uh, did certain, like they were experimenting with double length cartoons like Sinbad as we watched. Right. But eventually, like it was a nation of executive men from uh, Barney Bell who wanted the studio to become like this uh, uh, sort of low budget Disney. Like you can crank out these crowd pleasing animated films at about. A third of, or a third or the fourth of the budget that Disney will do them. Right. And Dave, who Max was technically ambitious in terms of he was a camera nut. He developed the rotoscoping process and so many other marvels. But Dave was personally ambitious. Dave was financially ambitious. He wanted the studio to make its mark, but he was over his head, and as a result. The first animated feature they ever came up with was Gulliver's Travels. And it is sort of the opposite of sort of the opposite of Cuphead in that it is obviously directly inspired by Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but it does not transcend it at all. It is it's kind of sloppy. The plot meanders. There's a lot of jokes that you would see in a more typical cartoon where it's just, you know, a person does something funny and then they loop the animation two or three times. There's a lot of that. It feels like <laughs> that's <filler>. exciting. <laughs> and there's a lot of there's a lot of rotoscoping, which uh, Disney, when the patent ran and basically, you know, anyone could use it after 1934, Disney used a lot of rotoscoping for Snow White. Particularly uh, for the, particularly for main character herself, mm. and Fleischer's response was to go even deeper into the uncanny valley. There are several characters which are extensively rotoscoped, possibly entirely rotoscoped, that stand out amongst the more cartoony characters, like a sore thumb. Like you can tell that this was rushed. They didn't exactly have the resources that would be needed for such an ambitious thing. And mm -hmm. as a result, it, it was successful. But, and it got okay reviews, but it wasn't the bombshell they had been hoping for. And the second uh, feature they worked on, Mr. Bug Goes to Town, was in several ways an improvement. But, and it was well received critically in early previews, but the distributors uh, in the theaters thought it could be a financial liability. 
And so it was dropped right before it premiere on Christmas 1941. It was just... It was just, unfortunately, a business decision. And the thing about the brothers is that while this was going on, they were kind of falling apart. They, they, uh, they begun to disagree on the direction of the studio. Uh, Max and Dave had begun not speaking to each other, especially after, uh, Dave's fling with his own secretary, which was very public and very (laughs) embarrassing. And so they began speaking in these uh, rushed memos that they would just mm-hmm. have delivered, despite the fact they were working in the same building. <laughs> and personal tension ultimately destroyed the studio. Nice, good. Even the fact that they were working on their their latest and greatest triumph, which was the Superman shorts. They were a smash hit financially and critically, but their flagging businesses, several of the cartoon series they had debuted had gone into terrible reviews and made no money. And even despite as they Hmm. were facing this unprecedented success, they had to close up shop. They both left the company uh, on Thanksgiving and, then just before Christmas, and Fleischer Studios mm-hmm. became famous. They finished the Superman shorts and then went on to a bunch of other inauspicious stuff, you know. Uh, Casper, uh, Little Lulu. Cool. Uh, Baby Huey, Little Audrey. Uh, you know, it's a crowd-pleasing again, but not in any way artistically challenging. Right. And, and, and there's something there too, where like the, the cartoons that, or the shorts that we most enjoy are the artistically challenging ones. And then as they push more towards like triple a or uh, full length movies and is, is the case may be, um, there ends up being this tension of like, well, can you do that for a full movie? Can you make it profitable? Can you like, can you juggle all the plates? Um, Can you spin all the plates at the same time? And I feel like video games do this too, where, and especially back in, back in the older days where like you didn't have the steam marketplace and you couldn't have, you know, or, or just even direct download where you couldn't have like a, a sense of, okay, this is a smaller project versus a bigger project. Like you'd get these smaller projects that just were hits and then that same studio would produce something and you'd think this is going to be great. This is going to be huge. This is going to be really good. And it would flop because it was like, it was them just stretching and not being able to spin all the plates. And I feel like if Cuphead has something going for it, I mean, it has a lot going for it, but if, if it has something specific going for it, it's that it seems to understand its limits quite well. Like it seems to understand where to, where to stop. Eh. Um, and I know that has something to do with budget and time and ability and whatever, but like there are many other smaller budgeted and more tightly scheduled games that did not know when to stop. It ultimately worked out for the benefit of the Moldenhauer brothers who for a time being were incredibly financially stretched. Oh yeah. I mean, there's the famous story about, uh, them having to mortgage their houses just to, complete even enough to get uh investors interested which 
in turn has led to the Latin American community uh, like fan base for the game, often referring to Cuphead simply as hypotecas or mortgage. <laughs> so you can tell this has become like kind of an infamous stalking point. And it's kind of remarkable to think that in uh, how closely it parallels the uh, the struggles of the Fleischers and indeed the struggles of young plucky Cuphead and Mugman themselves. Of course. Who lost big and had to make a deal with an unfortunate shady entity just to cover their asses. <laughs> I mean, I, I can only hope it turns out a little better for Chad and Jared. Well, it could be the good ending. That's a nice one. You free everyone and you live happily ever after. Um, or you become their thralls. Uh, the shady entities thralls. I guess that's the bad ending. But yeah, I mean, there's... It strikes me that there's there's something both some very very troubling about all this, which is like, of course now the Moldenhauer brothers are considered like paragons of the form because they put their houses up for mortgage to just get their dream out there, which is absolutely not a good thing to to push as a norm. Um, and I, it's like it's like those inspirational news articles about oh this here's this little girl selling lemonade to uh pay for mommy's cancer treatment exactly yeah thinking, or like the oh you just think what the fuck is with this country yeah or the um the uh uh why am i the elon musk thing where it's like he got a hundred million dollars from such and such and uh for the sale of paypal and then put it all into his other companies and started other companies and had to borrow money for rent and it's like well who cares, man? Like, it's just like... Or, I guess the closest analogy would be, um, besides the lemonade thing, is uh, those horrible, horrible stories about, you know, I I came to work at a wall, as a Walmart greeter or McDonald's, even though I had a terrible car accident and my brain is leaking out of my ears. Yes, yes. Or the ones that are like, you know, 87-year-old woman still goes to... Um, like 87 year old woman still works every day. Like these are, these are troubling things and they're, they're always treated as, as heroic stories. And that's not to say that like, you know, good for the Moldenhauers for making it work and, you know, good for people just doing what they have to do to stay alive and kicking and stuff like that. No, no discredit meant to any of the actual people, but the idea that this is some sort of hopeful thing uh, really lets the systemic problems off the hook. Um, and of course the other problem, the other, but the other interesting thing about this is like, you know, the reason all of this lines up is that like, you know, progressive and interesting and cutting edge stuff, uh, material often can sustain itself for short bursts, but when it tries to be super ambitious falls apart because it doesn't have the, the support that's needed. Um, and Cuphead almost was the latter as opposed to the former. I would very much like for the rule, not the exception, but unfortunately that's that's not where the industry is right now. Yeah, exactly. Well, this was good. Rousdower, do you have anything that we didn't touch on? Um your veritable font of information. I I there, you know, I I know I'm opening myself up for another interesting uh garden path here, which um, you know, if that is what our fate is, then uh, I'll roll the dice. <laughs> Dice, you say? 
Look, I will send you some of that fan art. You would not believe it. <laughs> you know, I Googled it while we were talking, just out of curiosity. It's um, it's rough. Uh, there's even there's even a Cuphead X um, that that guy that you were talking about, Inky. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> fan art or Blinky, excuse me. Bendy. So uh, that was exciting. Lots of good stuff that people have put together. Um, and you know what? If they listen to the show and subscribe to the Patreon, I think it's good and want to talk about it more. Uh, so definitely just give me more money and you can come on and talk about your I mean, art. I mean, your the really good art. Majority of it is kind of unfortunate MS paint drawings uh, featuring sexualized cups. But you know what? I I'm going to say it's odd, but. Basically, every fetish is odd, and I think everyone has accepted that. And sexualizing these cups in any way is, you know what, it's odd, but it's not bad, you know? Much like you're, you're, experimental, you're experimenting artistically, you're appreciating this game at least for if... <laughs> it's not to say it has many memorable characters. It's, it's a great game of all time, but it's very light on characterization yeah i would say so i don't think i don't think there's any sort of romantic entanglements in this game other than maybe um on the stage in the uh in the uh though i forget her name but the the sort of like actress um character that you fight on inkwell island three yeah that's uh, yeah that's sweet you can see in the finale she's kissing her husband who's apparently not just the actor and actually her husband (laughs) Yeah, because Cuphead also takes place in hell. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, there's like... There's a very... It's fine. There's I mean, a very strong uh, anti-gambling message, which is very... I actually like is... It feels antiquated. It feels like a Depression-era cartoon. Absolutely. Like the closest you could get to it's without going into some, again dicey territory (laughs) it's also i mean it definitely i think one of the best things about cuphead for me is that it doesn't it never becomes self-aware i mean it's obviously self-aware but like it never it never flaunts it it's never like this is a 30s cartoon um it doesn't feel kitschy it just feels honest like an honest transcription of what a 30s cartoon would look like um and that's refreshing too sort of the platonic ideal of a 30s cartoon. Yeah, for sure. Anything that might necessarily feel distracting or unnecessary has just kind of been excised. <laughs> it's very it's very refreshing, I have to say. This is probably this is probably going to be uh uh the goatee for a lot of people if not necessarily the goat. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah, I think I think it's up there. It's been a really good year for games. Um, I, I I guess I'll have to put out my go my uh, top ten by the end of the year. But uh, this is up there. I mean, it'll be on there for sure. It's you know, it's top five, top three. I think it's it's a it's a lovely game and it has a perfect length. It's um, it's something as you said before, and I guess this is where I'll I'll end up. It's something that you would love to say. Oh, I wish it were the rule as opposed to the exception. Um. But part of, I think, its lesson is that it can't possibly be the rule. Like, aping Cuphead would seem like just a complete mistake. It, it, this is truly, honestly, a one of a kind. Mm-hmm. I know they're not exact. I, I know 
I know they've reached the platinum mark, and by the way, speaking of anniversaries, congratulations on your golden episode. Oh, thank you, I appreciate that. But I know they're not necessarily hurting for money anymore, but none the same, don't wait for a Steam sale. This is something that deserves every cent of those $20, believe you me. Absolutely. And I think, like, it's not, it's not like you, it's not like you don't know that, it's not that you don't know where it's going. It's going to these guys who basically, like, shelled out every piece of their soul to make this game. Um, so, you know, you can, you can kind of retro retroactively save the Fleischers, which is uh, kind of lovely. Well, nonetheless, as a proud uh, patron and a, uh, a thankful listener... I am very grateful for a chance to have been on this episode and indulging my pointless circular ramblings. Goodness, no, no, my pleasure altogether. It would be, it would not be a, a podcast of mine if you weren't on it. So um, go follow Roustauer at NKVD's Nuts. Um, go listen to both of us on the um, the intelligible. No, it's not the intelligible grunt. It's the grunt. It's the, um, the... Here we go again. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The, um... Inquisitive. Inquisitive grunt. Inquisitive grunt. It's in. It's the in part. Uh, the inquisitive grunt. Uh, which actually, despite my not remembering the adjective, I am, I am actually very, very proud of. Um, I think it's a lovely podcast. I think we do a good job with it. Um, by the time it could... By the time it this episode comes out, we're probably going to be doing more episodes again. Yeah, we'll be off our hiatus by that point. But um, yeah, so check it out. Um, we're on Libsyn. Uh, maybe we'll try and get it up on iTunes too. Uh, but yeah, anything else you want to plug? You know, absolutely nothing. I I mean, I know there are a, a lot of those guys who have multiple plates, but no, you know, I'm just I'm on Twitter, um, banging out every day. Just never stop posting. If, if you want a guy who does not necessarily tweet rude things to people, but replies because I'm a physical coward, I'm your man. <laughs> hey, look, um, the replies are good. I've retweeted many of them. And retweeting replies is always um, gratifying. a dicey maneuver. <sighs> uh, well, all right. Thanks again for being on. This was actually, despite our tired size, this really was fun. Um <laughs> You know, we're both of us are exhausted, but I think this was maybe the only conversation that would have kept me awake this long. So um, I had a blast. Please come on again. Let's talk about some other games sometime soon. <laughs>